Radical, your favorite Bitcoin podcast. I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> What's up, Jordan? Welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me, Kaz. So this is pretty cool. Um, I've been following you for at least a, probably like a year and a half, like right at the time COVID started, <clears throat> you were putting out the best information being a realist at the time when nobody was being a realist. Um, and then a couple months ago and like you started following me, I was like, what, how is this guy following me? His audience is like 10, 10 times my size, like, or 20 times my size. Here we are. So we've been engaging. You're a cool ass Bitcoiner and let's talk about the clown world we're living in. So What's up? What's been on your mind lately? Yeah, I mean, like I, I've been a Bitcoiner for a little bit, but um, so one of the things that like I was kind of hesitant to talk about Bitcoin was I kind of had this like fear and paranoia. And thanks to folks like, you know, um, MBK um, and other people who, who educated me um, through their uh, written work on a variety of platforms about Bitcoin security, once I felt pretty safe about where I was you know, the, the cold storage aspect of things. I was like, I got to talk about being a Bitcoiner because of how important it is. I was kind of like a shadow Bitcoiner. I mean, I'm not like a whale or anything, so don't like break into my house and try to steal my shit. But um, I, yeah, like it, one of the interesting things was like, as a lot of people who follow me now um, realize that I kind of pivoted to the, you know, these like government bureaucrats and pharmaceutical companies trying to take over our lives and ruin them that I was talking about this a lot. The Bitcoiners are, the, we're better than anyone at reacting to this because of, you know, the first principles, the prioritizing freedom over everything else, basically individual rights. We're, we're in a very proud minority uh, thought group in, unfortunately a minority thought group in, in you know, the United States and abroad, but it, it was amazing to see, uh, and I met like so many awesome Bitcoiners because there were so few allies back in like March of 2020, where I was like, hold on, we really shouldn't be locking down the entire country and our whole society. Um, and yeah, it, it was like, it was crazy. Like I would get like, uh, you know, a retweet from Saifedean, uh, who's the author of the Bitcoin standard. I'm sure everyone who listens to your podcast knows that already, but yeah. And like all these Bitcoiners were so supportive and I was like, dude, I need to like, you know, get more involved with, with these people because because they get it and, and very few people got it at that time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I love comparing everything to The Matrix. There's so many great analogies in that movie. It's the best movie ever. But when you wake up from The Matrix, like you are, you have to, you're, you're, it's inevitable to be become a Bitcoiner. Like you just see through the bullshit. Like Bitcoiners have the best nose for bullshit. And COVID was just reeking of bullshit in March of 2020. So when we, when we found like a group of people, we kind of, you know, like you, we were kind of rallied behind you and there's so many, like, I think every Bitcoiner now knows who you are. Um, and it's interesting. So how, how did you get into Bitcoin? Like, what is your story? I know you went yeah. on safe a while back too. Yeah. So deep in uh, lockdown, I think. So my journey with Bitcoin started, uh, I, I've never really, I've been working in the right of center media space since like 2013. And I, you know, Bitcoin kind of popped on my radar. I, I've always been someone who's like very, um, 
libertarian slash, you know, self-sovereignty slash individual rights. I don't like to label myself a certain way. You know, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not a libertarian. Probably somewhere in between that. You're a Bitcoin. But, but definitely um, can relate to a lot of Bitcoiners and their ideology. But I think Bitcoin popped on my radar during that first... Um, the, the big bull run of 2016, 2017. And at the time I was like a total, you know, when you get into the space, I think most people are like total shit coiners. You go on Coinbase and you're like, oh, this this coin, this Bcash is cheaper. So I'm going to get the cheaper coin. <laughs> and, and, and like, I, I have a, a pretty uh, decent understanding of mathematics and um, monetary policy. And the more you start learning about these these coins related to Bitcoin, you, you start to realize where the value in Bitcoin comes from and where the non-value in the shit coins comes from. So I'd say like from after like the 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 big um, when the big bear market started um, in 2017 or like maybe the beginning of 2018 is when I really started to like obsess over the literature uh, behind Bitcoin. Of course, read Safetyne's book, um, started listening to the early Bitcoin podcasts. And yeah, I just became, a, you know, in a world where so many screwed up things are happening, uh, Bitcoin is one reason for a tremendous optimism. And that, that's kind of how I got, uh, because I, I think that once you realize that you, you, you need to separate money from the state and that it's one of the most important priorities for people who uh, want to remain free in this world of China imposing CBDCs and Europe going to follow soon thereafter, that Bitcoin is really one of our only, if not the only shot we have to, you know, preserving human freedom in this, in this world. It really, so. yeah, you hit, you hit the nail on the head with that last mm -hmm. one. It's, it's to me, it's like the only thing that really gives me hope in this time. Um, I put this question out on Twitter not too long ago about, you know, what gives people hope right now in the clown world. <clears throat> but it really is like if Bitcoin dies, it, it, it seems pretty bleak with, with central bank digital currencies coming, China, the UK, um, you know, you, the dollar, digital dollar is going to come eventually, you know, who knows when, but it's coming and they want to do everything they can to strip your rights and your privacy. So I think it's super dope that, you know, you have your platform, you have a, a major audience and you are not, you know, your, your content isn't ex like exclusive to Bitcoin, but now it's kind of becoming like a tangential aspect of everything you do just because it, it fits in perfectly with the principles that you believe in. Yeah. I, so I spent the last six years in Washington, DC. I'm in South Florida now. Um, but when you interact with politicians, lobbyists, um, and you realize, and, and bureaucrats, and, and you realize how bad the system is, how corrupt and deceitful so many of the people in D.C. are, that I started to realize, um, especially over the course, I think, of the Trump presidency, that electing new politicians and just like, you know, reshuffling the deck with the same old people is just not going to get it done anymore. So if you can't go through the political process you need an ingenious system, a monetary system to, you know, cause that change, I think. And, and that's why it's so important to, 
like for me, that's why I, one of the reasons why I publicly started talking about Bitcoin so much. And a lot of people just say, oh, oh, you're shilling to like, to increase your holdings. Well, like, I don't really know any billionaires, so (laughs) I don't know anyone that can move the needle uh, anyway. But um, yeah, it's, I I want my friends and family and and people that I admire and care about to, to own Bitcoin uh, because I want them to have uh, not only purchasing power, but political power um, to really you know, change uh, our country and the world as we see it. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoiners are going to be the ones with all the capital. So we're going to be had we have to rebuild the society after it breaks down. So what, what do you what do you see happening? Um, there's a lot of different theories on what this is going to look like. Are we going to you know have like a melt up? Are we going to have, you know. <clears throat> a complete deflationary collapse? Is the credit system co- going to collapse? Um, so what is really, how do we transition into this future you're kind of laying the groundwork for with not a full Bitcoin standard, but you know, Bitcoin have, being a more prominent role in US politics, global politics, and just a global store of value? Yeah, it's going to be weird because the, the, you, know, you talked about the credit system and inflation and I don't even think that Bitcoiners are going to be able to avoid it uh, temporarily, at least. I think Bitcoin will probably recover faster. But when that big crash comes, I'm sure Bitcoin's going to, you know, drop 80, 90 percent because like people are just going to need capital desperately. And um, U.S. government's printed trillions of dollars this year and the, the dollar is like, uh, I think it, it's been holding on by a thread for a long time. And um, you know, thanks to the tremendous power of the U.S. military, it it's, continues to sustain itself. But there was this interesting map I looked at the other day about, uh, you know, global trade, and it, it's shifted way over to China in, in recent years. So um, it, it seems that instead of a lot of people don't understand this, that the, that the U.S. is really only um, the, the, the dominant power in the world by like presentation and I, I think that other countries, like when they're, especially you can, anything from the lockdowns to CBDCs, the reason why they're following China is because they, they see that China is becoming, you know, the, the big emerging player on the world stage. Um, but with like, you know, the collapse of the dollar and I think the collapse of just any type of fiat system, it, it's going to be weird. I wish I could tell people that like, you know, everything's going to be great as long as you own at least, you know, a certain amount of Bitcoin, but it's going to be really, I think it's going to be really weird for, for some time. So, so hopefully um, we just do what we can to uh, avoid a a total catastrophe. But I don't know if you saw the statements from uh, Jerome Powell today, something about like inflation is going to be high for a while, but it'll become moderate after some time. Like these people are just, these people are just lying to us. They're just going to continue to print trillions of dollars and um, pass the buck on to the next person who's in charge it's like you know it reminds me of like a macro version of the war in afghanistan when they sent all those every time they sent a general over they're like oh yeah we're gonna make a lot of great progress here and then their tenure ends and it's still a disaster and eventually you know the the country will collapse and and go back into the hands of the uh you know jihadi warlords there and i think that you know whoever's going to be holding the bag uh, at some point in time is going to be the person who's blamed for it but the um, you know the whole the, these the, the politicians now are responsible for what's going to happen in the future and it, they're they're just insanely um, you know, 
they're they're inconvenient. They don't want to be inconvenienced, so they they're just going to pass the buck until the whole thing collapses. <laughs> I, I wish I had a more optimistic uh, version of events, but I think it's important just to educate people to be aware that you know our financial system is basically a, a house of cards right now. Absolutely, it's it's so interesting because it can break at any time. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. You know, they're pulling this mask bullshit out in the middle of July because they they sense it's like imminent. And I can also there's times I'm like, man, it could be another five years before this thing really collapses. So it is going to be interesting. And I, I saw that graph that you were referring to. This was uh, is this the Belt and Road sort of initiative that China's building with the trade um, on the other side of the world? Basically, every country is yeah. trading with China and not in the United States. <laughs> Yeah. And when, when you're trading with another country more than anyone else, you're going to want to you know, look at that country as, as, as a guide for, for what you should be doing with, with your money or your economy or your political society. Um, and one of the big problems with the COVID madness is that we gave China a reputation that they didn't deserve. And all this stupid shit that we're dealing with is, is initially a result of, of China propagandizing the masses to believe that these... Um, this these quack science measures actually work. Yeah. So let's let's dig into the quack science because I I need a therapy session session after this week. So now the CDC's reversed it, and even if you are vaccinated, you have to wear masks again. So it looks like. I mean, I don't know how we don't go into lockdowns again in December, or before. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. Um, so. People who, need, people who aren't super familiar with how the government works, when the CDC issues something in a Democrat administration, um, because all the bureaucrats in D.C. Are, are Democrats, that means that they're usually accommodating an order that came from the White House. So it's, it's not really... Um, in a Republican administration, it's different because you have uh, an adversarial bureaucracy. So they're going to make it very difficult for the executive branch. But in this case... You know, you got Joe Biden in there. And what I think what the CDC is doing is they're basically taking orders from the, the top people in the White House, uh, you know, the people with power there. And uh, they're just going totally bonkers. I, I think what they're realizing is that the data that's coming out on the vaccine is not as promising as they thought it would be. So their result, instead of giving people freedom um, to do what they want, they see that there's now breakthrough cases, thousands in every state of this, you know, of COVID-19. So they want to bring back their ridiculous um, policies from last year uh, because they don't want to be in a position where they look bad. So they're just going to make us all suffer. And, you know, the, the big lie um, is, is that, you know, these these lockdowns, these masks have any type of like health efficacy when they just don't. So they were hoping, I think, that they could just sweep it all under the rug when the vaccines came out because people would just stop dying, <laughs> which is like a ridiculous uh, thing to. But so so here we are. We're, we're back to square one. People are still getting sick as they've always been throughout human history and now we must suffer because there's another respiratory season at hand it's just become so absurd so how much of it do you think is actually <clears throat> in you know intentionally malevolent versus 
just grossly incompetent like is it yeah that our administration like basically bought all these vaccines and now nobody's really getting vaccinated so they have a bunch on hand and they're like you know we're gonna make a massive push to get people vaccinated so they don't just sit here is that like the light way to look at it or is it that they're truly gonna try to go door to door to people and and you know stick something in your arm like cuomo is suggesting I hope we never get to the point where they do (laughs) mandatory vaccination. I I think what they'd rather do is make it as difficult as possible to live your life as a normal person, um, having, you know, not taken the vaccine or whatever medical um, or or health experimental device that they want you to take. Uh, In terms of the the, uh, malevolent versus, um, you know, whether they're well-meaning and mistaken argument. I think it, it's, it's on a case-by-case basis. A lot of people just don't want to be proven incorrect. Um, like a guy like Fauci is just such a sociopath that he'd rather people suffer than him being exposed as a total charlatan. Uh, but a lot of these people in academia and in, and in the bureaucracy, I, I think they're, they're not only clueless, they're dangerous, they're, they're so power-hungry that they, they enjoy this power that they have over people. These people were so irrelevant before March of 2020. They were just like, you know, cruising along, uh, maybe would do like one press hit every two years if like something like Ebola showed up and they would just say, uh, you know, everything's fine. Uh, we're we're going to manage or can contain this pandemic. But now they've been giving this, this immense power and they've been told and praised as the people who are responsible for protecting society so it puts them in this insane position that they never should have been in. And unfortunately, they've come to really enjoy it. Uh, a guy like Fauci is, I think, living his best life right now. And uh, that's why he was so furious the other day when Rand Paul basically accused him of, of lying. He did lie uh, in front of Congress, but you know, Congress is a shit show anyway. Like They're not going to do anything about that. Um, but yeah, these are, these are awful people not nearly as smart as they think they are. And they're just, they're just really enjoying their time. So I don't think it's, it's fully one way or another. It's more of like a nuanced thing going on, but it's certainly not good for, for America. It it goes to show, um, uh, safety and talks about this a lot, you know, this like class of like fiat public health experts, like what are these people actually good at? It's, it's very unclear. They live in this system where, the, the, you know, the motives are all screwed up. You have these like academic chairs at Harvard funded by China, not really clear what they do. They say they're public health experts. They have no real like research. Uh, they've never invented anything. It, it's just a very strange concept that, um, that the whole system is so screwed up and, and now we've empowered the worst people in that system. We, we've empowered the grifters. So the people that basically leech off of society in the fiat world contribute nothing now have, you know, a great reason to virtue signal like they're brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, but I, I don't, I don't think that they'll, you know, there's this weird, um, dynamic in U S economy now where you have this like corporate public partnership, these, these mega corporations, um, have so many lobbyists in DC and there, there's so much control over these politicians and, and, uh, you know, media personalities, even that they, um, 
this is, you know, one of the biggest issues with the fiat economy is that uh, I, I think a lot of people and a lot of people on the right don't see it, like especially the libertarian crowd. I think the Bitcoiner crowd realizes it. But there's a libertarian crowd that says, oh, you know, they're a private business. They can do whatever they want, even though, you know, they, they pay no tax and they get billions of dollars a year from the federal government. Like that's basically a quasi government entity that's forcing uh, mask mandates and vaccine passports down your throat. And, you know, people should be uh, appalled by this stuff. Like personally, right now living in, in South Florida and, and I could and I would recommend this for anyone, no matter where you live. If a store currently has a mask mandate, you should not be walking into that store at all under any circumstances i don't like we should just we, we need to like pe- people who believe in a free society need to mobilize better and, and like that should just be something that you can totally rule out i get it if you're gonna fly somewhere like i've been flying around a lot you gotta wear the stupid mask but like if you're gonna go get dinner somewhere and they tell you to wear a mask like just just walk out of the walk out of the place like they don't deserve your business stop supporting those businesses they need to bleed and that's that. That's how I feel. But I'm so passionate about this. This really, it's a combined issue of mandated vaccines and um, vaccine passports. I have no issue with vaccines. I believe people should do whatever the hell they want to do. And if you want to go get the vaccine, go get it. Just don't come knocking on my door asking me why I haven't gotten it. And definitely don't say I can't go have a beer in public because I haven't gotten it. And then now we're just reiterating all of the failed things that didn't work the first time. So we've instituted masks and lockdowns last year and here we are. So now we're just going to do the same thing. It seems to me like the lockdowns are going to be the um, way they like taper the inflation for a short period of time, because obviously they're going to close all businesses. People are not going to be purchasing at the same rate and it will drive costs down in the short term. And they'll be like, look, we solved inflation. And then they'll print a bunch of money again and open the doors. And then this time next year will be an even more exaggerated situation. Yeah. So I, I actually wrote something uh, a couple months ago and I was at the time I was unsure, but I was like, you know, I think the lockdowns might come back because people have been programmed and, and your matrix um, analogy is solid here. People have been programmed to flip the switch on because they think, um, I'd say the majority of the population in the United States right now believes that the reason why like the cases went down pre-vaccine was the lockdowns and the masks. <laughs> and they've just been uh, programmed with so much of that propaganda. So why not just flip the switch back on if you're, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a Fauci or you're a Newsom or a Cuomo and things aren't going your way and you have this like variant excuse and you said okay we're gonna we're gonna get back into this stupid fight again so um now i'd say if i was if i was a betting man or or, you know a day trader those degenerates (laughs) but uh I, i would be betting heavy on restrictions coming back because these politicians they aren't going to admit that they screwed up and that they cost you and your family, your livelihoods and, and all of the horrific mental and physical health condition decline that we've seen. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's crazy what happened in this country when there were lockdowns. And a lot of people forget about that. Uh, I think a lot of people, if you ask them, know someone who is directly impacted, whose mental health was totally destroyed. Um, because like, you know, well, I'm, I'm pretty introverted, but I know there's people like who need 
constant, uh, constantly be around folks. And there were some people, like I know people in New York City and DC who spent a year basically sitting in their homes and, and like the mental catastrophe that create that created. But those people are are very programmed and they will snap right back into lockdown mode. And, and you're seeing it already. Like on social media is just a, a, a shit show now. It's um, just a bunch of crazy people telling telling me and others that the unvaccinated are, are responsible for all of society's ills. Yeah, that's that's really what's the narrative is proving to be is that it's the vac- it's the unvaccinated's fault that we are going to have to go back into lockdowns. So it seems to me like they're putting the blame on the unvaxxed and they're weaponizing the public and going back to the matrix analogy. Um, you know, it's like, <clears throat> this isn't my analogy, by the way, I got this from Svetsky and uh, Francis Poulier, but in the matrix, you know, you have all the, the harmless NPCs walking around that you can just like bump into and, you know, they're just like not even real characters, but at any point, you know, the, this, you know, evil virus program can just zap through their body and you know you can have a gun in your head in two seconds and and, you know this is exactly how they're weaponizing the public right now against the unvaxxed to be like you know it's your fault that i'm in this situation like i did my civic duty by taking an experimental vaccine um i shouldn't have to go back into it you know you should have to do this and it's just it's nauseating to me and nauseating (laughs) yeah we're very much um, I, I thought that humans have unique, ha- before COVID, I would have told you that like maybe humans had evolved to a point where we were uniquely different from the rest of the animal kingdom, but it is clearly not the case. And, and um, you know, as, as, a, as a student of history and as someone who has a background in, uh, my background's in international affairs and, and foreign relations, um, and in school, you grow up learning about the atrocities that were committed in history, you know, all these genocides and stuff. And you're like, oh, no, it's cool. We're, we're Westerners. Like, we, we, we're not going to do that anymore, you know, even though, you know, the, the gulags were a very recent thing and the Holocaust was only 80 years ago. Um, a lot of people were under the impression that society has evolved, that there will never be another, like, mass programming event where society becomes a total crazy house and people can be manipulated to such an extent that they're willing to basically sacrifice everything um, for the sake of uh, for a a threat that isn't even really real you know if there's a 99.9 percent recovery rate is that a is that something that you would consider threatening (laughs) it's amazing that how many people in this country are willing to close their business, um, vaccinate their kids with experimental therapies, put masks on their kids all day and not even ask any questions and actually shame people who, who don't support that kind of thing. It's, um, especially in, in America's, uh, major urban environments in New York city and San Francisco and LA, I'd say if you walked around on the street and 95 out of 96 people would tell you, oh, of course we need to do that. You know, it's the science. It's for public health reasons. And you're right. Like the the matrix analogy is just, it's just some of us and and you walk into a population center and it's just a bunch of people that are waiting to be, you know, flipped on at any moment. Where do we go from here, Jordan? That's a tough one. I wish I had a great answer. I, I think if people have the ability to move, um, 
and they live in a blue state or if you live in a blue area, now is probably not a great time to live in a big city because your local so-called public health experts will make your life a living hell. So um, although Bitcoiners tend to be renters because we're saving every cent that we have for Bitcoin. So maybe, maybe you can find a way to, uh, to rent a house um, with, with some land somewhere that's, you know, that gives you some space. But I think that's the, the biggest threat is, you know, trying people who are living in population centers need to plan to you know, get out of there. A lot of people who have kids, um, I'm seeing people complaining, uh, but if you have the, if they have the ability to move, they should move. Like just don't wait for bad stuff to happen. Uh, it seems to me that especially like if friends in New York city and DC, they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is going to happen again. Like either if you don't want to be miserable, then I, I would tell them to just consider, even if it takes a job change or something like that, just, just you need to get out of there because these 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 politicians are going to definitely try to ruin your life. So so uh, I, I hope that they heed our advice um, in terms of like we just don't have the we don't have in, in some the U.S. has a you know great system federalism and big credit to our founders. And, you know, you're in Texas, I'm in Florida. I think we'll be good in most places, maybe not like Austin or Miami. But yeah, that's at least you have a way out in the United States, in the UK, in Canada, in Australia. Um, Australia just did another four week lockdown of uh, Sydney, like totally insane. Um, but the whole um, it's about that, one guy died, right? It, it, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing that initiated it was one 80 year old man died. And, and imagine what's going to happen when 10 people die or when a hundred people die, uh, because it's inevitable that this is going to happen. So, so I really, yeah. uh, you know, I listened to um, uh, Stefan Levera, his podcast is excellent. And he told me that he got out and he's, he's, uh, he's a very lucky man because Australia is going to be wild <laughs> and it not a good wild. Uh, all these Western countries that have the ability to have one person who controls the entire population, it, it's going to be a rough go or one parliament. The U.S. is, is uniquely uh, ready, at least in, in free states, for, for crazy executive action. So at least we got that going for us. Yeah, the federated model is the only thing that really gives me hope in the United States. But seeing what's happening in Australia and New Zealand, like I've got a I've got a very close friend that's a Kiwi from New Zealand, and I swear that like that is like the like the playground for authoritarianism. Everything mm -hmm. they want to happen in the West and all Western democracies, they just they they demo it and see how it works out in New Zealand, and. You know, that model is spreading, obviously. Like, it's in the UK now. Like, it's in Canada. Like, it just... So, now my next question is what I asked on Twitter. So, what gives you hope? Outside of Bitcoin, you can't give me, like, oh, I have kids or Bitcoin. So, what gives you hope in, you know, this, this situation? Let's say Bitcoin doesn't even exist. How do we, like, what gives you hope in this situation? If Bitcoin did not exist, I would recommend... Well, I don't want to get banned from social media, but during, <laughs> but I think that our, our founding fathers through tea 
in the harbor and re- rebelled against the crown under much um, less severe circumstances. Our country has a proud history of, well, at least used to have a proud history of rebelling against authority. Now it's you're told that you're a good citizen if you just conform with authority and conform with the social media oligarchs. But without Bitcoin, you have very few options. You have an option to leave while you're still allowed to travel to a more hospitable place. Or you have the second option, which is um, you you need to gather a coalition to seek change. And... Yeah, I, I can't um, elaborate on that because it will it will result yes. in. But I'm I'm not I'm not advocating for violence. Um, Absolutely, but not. the people in charge need to know that there are some things that they cannot get away with. And, and I'm happy that Americans have a lot of guns because I think we'd be in a much worse position if the Second Amendment did not exist, and that I think we would be much more like Australia in that sense. But people need to be very, um, you need to, when, when the authorities come or the, the so-called experts come and tell you to give away your rights, you need to draw the line in the sand. You'd be like, all right, you're going you're gonna to try to vax me. You're going to come to my house. Like, let's, let's see you try to do that. I'm going to see, let's see how it works out, you know? So, so there, there's some lines that should not be crossed and that's by design. You know, that's the constitutional framework of this country. So without Bitcoin, you're either you're either moving you're or, or you're fighting <laughs> and and that's you're either fighting through the political process or you're fighting through uh, another process well i would say by you opting out and using bitcoin you're moving and you're fighting so you can move and fight at the same time so even if you decide to move and you just don't put up with the bullshit in your jurisdiction uh, you're fighting because you're starving the fucking apparatus of the state and everything they're doing in the fiat realm by just buying Bitcoin and not yeah. not spending your income on things that support that system. So even things like going out to eat and you know where you choose to spend your money, it's all supporting some system at the end of the day. Yeah. So by just being more frugal and not spending your money on things and buying Bitcoin, you are starving the exact thing that like gives them power. Yeah, the fact that I th- that I think we both agree that Bitcoin's monetary power is purchasing power is going to increase exponentially over time. I think that's just a bonus. Like if Bitcoin was simply just freedom money and it was like one to one USD to Bitcoin, uh, I- I'd still be all in on Bitcoin, right? Like if Bitcoin was just like this, like uh, I don't want to say if it if it's like if it somehow became comparable to like a shit coin but had the same features and we just knew that the price action wouldn't ever change, I would still be a Bitcoiner based on the principles of Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of Bitcoiners share. Another reason to be bullish about the sentiment is that Bitcoin is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's freedom money and, and you're going to get rich off of Bitcoin. But if it was just freedom money, I, I, I think that like all of us Bitcoiners will just go down with the ship, which I think is like bullish in a certain way. Oh, we're dying on this hill, baby. Yeah, <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> if it goes to zero, we're gonna ride it. But yeah, if it goes to zero, I, I will have I will have absolutely no regrets because I think it's the most important, if not the most important, cause of our time right now. And if, if like, let's say, just 
whatever. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy to have been a part of it. It sucks that Bitcoin is at a dollar, but, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but but I, I think that that's just, it, it says a lot about uh, Bitcoiners in, in general and, and their conviction. And I, I think talking to especially quite a few of the, um, the, the, you know, the more of the ideological proponents of Bitcoin, such as yourself and, you know, the whole team at Swan and, and all the intellectuals around Bitcoin that the, they, they see the, you know, they're not really in, these people aren't scammers. They're not like in it to get the Lambo. They, they're in it for, for human freedom purposes and everything else comes secondary. Absolutely. I was just telling somebody, actually, when I was in Miami, you didn't come by the Swan Dome, but I was telling somebody, some girl was like, first time, she didn't really know anything about Bitcoin. And she was like, oh, I heard there was like this Lambo at the event. I was like, yeah, that's like the most like antithetical thing to Bitcoin there is. Like no Bitcoiner owns a Lambo. If they are, they're probably not a Bitcoiner. They're like some shit coiner <laughs> or they're Peter McCormick. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, well, first of all, uh, not to go off on like a random tangent, but but I don't think that a, that a Lambo is is like a is like a really impressive. It, there's something strange about fiat culture where it's just like, oh yeah, I own a Lambo. Like, what are you trying to uh, what are you trying to prove by owning like a three hundred fifty thousand dollar car? Like, that's just such a waste of money. It, 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 I don't know if there's an equivalent. It's like it's like building a giant house that you that you don't live in that, that just like sits there or maybe you go there like once a year like no one's driving I don't know there, there's something I enjoy nice cars but but there are some like exotic cars that just like it, it's 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 a game for suckers and when you take that thing off the it's a total fiat car because you take it off the lot and it probably depreciates by like one third immediately so it yeah the the, the whole Lambo thing it definitely. Definitely a shit coiner dream, not a Bitcoiner thing. <laughs> mm. I'm fine. I'm fine owning like a used car for fifteen thousand dollars and driving it for three years while I accumulate yeah. Bitcoin. Right, <laughs> it's a much better idea, I think. So, tell me a little bit more about what it's like, you know, working for yourself, being an independent journalist. Uh, you know, you have a huge following, a great publication. Um, you know, kind of how do you see like the transition happening in media? You know, you just started a podcast as well, which I, I dug the first episode that you had. Um, so like, I guess the question is, how do you see media transitioning over the next, you know, 10 years? Um, <clears throat> the corporate press is basically, uh, well, I don't want to be part of the corporate press because corporate press is all like corrupt and boring. And I spent the last, um, seven years being in like right of center media space. Uh, I've worked basically for everyone in that space, but um, in addition to, so I still work in strategic communications and I do some PR and some ghostwriting, but one of my big projects is my Substack and then also my podcast. And I, I think that the corporate press is, and I'm happy about this, that they're, they're dying a very slow death. They, um, the corporate press is nothing more today than an influence operation. None of these places make money. Uh, the only reason why Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post is so he can influence Washington, D.C. and important people. And it's kind of like a prestigious thing. It would be the equivalent of like owning a, you know, basketball team. If the, the NBA makes a lot of money, but it, it would just be like, it's like a prestige token. Uh, but he you know, has to supplement all of that. 
And I think these billionaires are eventually going to get bored of losing um, tens of millions of dollars a year. A, a new report came out about the Atlantic. They're just like losing money hand over fist. All of these awful institutions that are like the, um, I think President Trump had it right. They're just the total enemy of the people. Like these people are such sleaze bags. I look forward to, to their demise. And I, I think with, with either like a subscription format, you know, more decentralized, something like Substack, or if you like locals or whatever, that there's a reason why people are tuning into these folks. And it's because they're just, I think, objectively better at either uh, writing about important events or doing reporting itself. Well, while these institutions have great resources, they, you know, they're so agenda driven and so broken and so corrupt that um, I, I, I think that uh, one of the reasons for, you know, my success in the Substack space is just people uh, find it somewhat, uh, I think like just some of the stuff I was doing was pretty unique, but also, uh, you know, there's no ulterior agenda, you know, my, my, like site like Axios has like all these like big corporate sponsors like Boeing and uh, Gilead or whatever, you know, that's, that's the institutional media model right now. And it needs to be destroyed <laughs> because there's this, uh, they're one of the worst and most deceitful actors in the United States. And uh, that if talk about something that's encouraging, it's their, their bleeding subscribers left and right. And it, it's a natural process, this decentralization uh, through technology and uh, I'm looking forward to the future. Uh, I think it's okay to have a partisan press, but not a deceitful press that will just continue to lie to you. It's, there's two very different things. You know, I'm a, I'm a partisan right winger um, and um, very open about it, but you can still be objective. And yeah, I, you, know, you can still do journalism with partisan left wingers and just tell people where you're at. And uh, I think it's a much more honest format and um, uh, uh, I'm definitely bullish on that, on the future of, you know, journalism and reporting while these institutions collapse. Absolutely. So I have a, a huge twist here. What's your, what's your thoughts on this ESG movement? Not specifically related to Bitcoin, yeah. just the overall beast of ESG. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, um, I mean, it's very much a fiat world structure, um, I'm not as pessimistic on it as some other Bitcoiners because I think that just the Bitcoin network will still protect itself even if all these miners are compliant with the with the uh, you know the energy stupidity. Um, I certainly don't like it. I, I don't like that. I, I think it just it gives Bitcoiners a sense of where people are at. It's just for me, it's kind of like free information. I don't think it harms Bitcoin. Um, it, it's just, it, it brings maybe some bad actors into the space, but in terms of like, you know, some type of like existential threat, I, I don't, I don't see it in, in that fashion. I, I certainly don't think that it, it's like productive in any way. Uh, but I, I think people that are more so like Bitcoin traders love ESG because you'll, you know, they're waiting on the Elon tweet to say, oh, we're accepting Bitcoin again. And then the price is going to go up, you know, from something up 2%, right? And then it'll, but I, I think that's the primary motive, unfortunately, for a lot of Bitcoiners that are 
kind of shilling ESG. Um, and, and I guess if you're a, if you're a publicly traded mining company, they can put some pressure on you. It's just the way that the fiat system works right now. But I, I, what's what's your opinion on on what's going on with it? Because like I think that the, these people, it, they're they're pragmatic, but a lot of them just kind of have to be. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bought in with ESG entirely. Yeah. So I actually had this question as well for you. Um, not to dodge your question, but I haven't seen you talk much about the WEF. It seems like the ESG movement comes directly from the World Economic Forum and like the model of stakeholder capitalism that we're moving to. So instead of, you know, having a business that they're, you know, <clears throat> sorry, their sort of focus is on their shareholders, it's now on the betterment of all of society which is like, I'm in the I'm in the middle of reading Atlas Shrugged right now, which is just like, you know, if you have a corporation that has to, they have to focus on pleasing the entire world instead of focusing on their single one issue that they're trying to solve, that they're solving as being a business, they're not going to be a successful business. And that's kind of, that's kind of how I see like ESG is like the regulatory sort of apparatus wrapped around this new model of capitalism they're trying to push that's secretly just communism. Yeah, that's one interpretation. I think it's more it's more so like this weird like corporate oligarchy incentive structure. Um, I, it's it's weird when you have these giant international institutions trying to um, push whatever they're doing onto companies, and I, I think if anything, it creates this um, this way for the authorities or these giant institutions to be able to monitor these organizations and perhaps put themselves in a position for a future power grab. Um, if, when it comes to the Bitcoin miners, maybe they'll, you know, if every, everyone who's ESG compliant and regulated, maybe one day our, um, you know, political so-called betters will just decide, and these giant corporations will just decide like, okay, U.S. government or Chinese government is just going to seize all of these um you know, ASIC devices or whatnot. So I, I think it's a way for them to be able to monitor, but it's also a way for them to be able to act as a middleman and, and empower themselves in the process. But I still think that Bitcoin will will fix that, even if we have Bitcoin compliant uh, ESG miners and or even Bitcoin compliant companies. Like I think uh, one of your competitors, I guess Gemini, decided to buy up a, a bunch of carbon credits so that they can they consider themselves uh, ESG compliant. And for me, it's just like, as a consumer, I am not impressed when a company does that. If every single company is doing that, uh, it's unfortunate. And I guess I'll have to use one of them if I'm going to want to buy, you know, KYC Bitcoin. And especially, I think, as a, uh, especially like those of us who are kind of like more public figures, uh, you're, you're, you're playing a dangerous game if you're going to try to buy Bitcoin in, in the shadows today, um, or at least you shouldn't be talking about it. But uh, it's, um, I, I think it just says, says about the reality of these corporate structures. But if, if you're in a country where you have the ability to go non-ESG, um, it might not be as profitable in the short term, but I think a lot of people will respect you for you know going out and doing your own thing. God, you you triggered me with the carbon offsets comment. 
Dude, that just gets me every time that companies and and people will look at companies and they don't even realize that they're just buying carbon credits and then they're saying, "Hey, look, like this company is green." It's like this yeah, company it's, it's ridiculous. It, it it's so outrageously stupid that <laughs> and and I can't believe that that we have like these fiat systems in place that just you, you, even down to a local level, my, my power company was just trying to shill to me to to get on this the, the grid, right? Get on the electric grid and, and I can pay a dollar more per month and all my energy will be coming from like solar panels or whatever, but it's a total scam. Um, what's his name? Uh, Alex Epstein, who wrote Alex The Moral Epstein, Case for Fossil yeah. Fuels. He is one of the best people on this issue and I would urge people to read his book and I think he has a new podcast, but it's amazing how many levels there are to this scam. It's like a scam slash power grab slash money grab that it's just very much uh, exemplifies the fiat system. Yeah, man, that's exciting. I didn't know Alex had a podcast coming out. I'm going to have to check that out. He's got the best takes on energy and I just send them to every person I know. Like, no, shut, shut up. Climate change isn't real. (laughs) He must've been like, he's like the guy, I guess that when there were so few Bitcoiners in, in 2012, 2011, like that's, he reminds me of like, he's in that place in time that just like everyone who talks about energy talks about energy. Like they're, they're entirely clueless or part of the scam. Alex is like the one guy, right? The one public intellectual right now who's talking about energy in a rational manner. I mean, even sadly, most people in the Bitcoin space don't get it at all, or they've already totally. been propagandized by, you know, ESG stupidity or some other scam. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the whole push and like even Bitcoiners that are championing the idea of like it's powered by solar and renewable. Yeah. They're they're buying into it. Like the fact that we are even counting those as renewable sources of energy compared to nuclear, hydro, and geothermal is a is a fucking travesty. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that some some Bitcoiners like uh, Stefan and, and Safety and whose podcast I listen to a lot, like they've really been championing the cause of, hey, Bitcoin's going to use a lot of energy. And if you don't like it, too bad. Like, I, I really yeah. appreciate that perspective. Like Bitcoin is valuable. It's more valuable than, you know, some other appliance you have in your house that uses a lot of energy and you guys are going to have to deal with it. So we're not going to pretend that Bitcoin's only going to use 0.01% of the grid. Like maybe someday Bitcoin mining will use, uh, you know, three to 4% of the grid. And and it's important because it's, you know, the most sound money in human history and it's, and it's free to money. And, it, and it's totally worth just as much energy as like your washing machine takes up. So uh, I think that uh, it's unnecessary to name drop, but everyone knows who the big Bitcoiners are, who are pushing the ESG. And, and it's very short-sighted. And it speaks to some people who have shareholders to answer to and aren't really so as independent as they seem. Although they're buying up a lot of Bitcoin, that's great. Thanks for buying Bitcoin. Thanks for securing the network. But stop shilling your your energy garbage. Like just just please hold off on that, right? <laughs> yeah. The the energy argument reminds me of like the zero COVID idea. Yes. Like it's just uh you know, every single thing we do uses energy and everything we encounter in life involves risk. Trying to say that we're going to like 
not ever have one case of COVID is not possible. And trying to say that like we should stop using energy as humans is a stupid idea as well. So the fact that, yeah, we created the best form of money that's going to become the new bedrock of the financial system and it uses energy, it uses it for a good fucking reason. Yeah, and, if, and if a guy like Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy, doesn't want Bitcoin because it's not up to your renewable standards, then, then F you, Kevin O'Leary, don't buy Bitcoin. You know, We'll just accumulate Bitcoin instead. And I'd rather... I think most Bitcoiners are are in it for the long game. So the idea that like, okay, we're, we might not get a pump to 100K until uh, 2022 if we don't, if we decide not to embrace ESG and Elon Musk gets mad. Like who gives a shit about these people? <laughs> I'd rather have, I'd rather have like 10 million super based Bitcoiners than, than Elon deciding to buy, you know, one uh, percent of the total supply of Bitcoin. Like, I much rather have the Bitcoin in the hands of people who who care about it. And you're right; there is like a zero COVID parallel because a lot of the zero COVID people are lying, and they know they're lying that you can't just rid yourself of of a virus like that. And if they think it's true, they're misinformed. And it's the same exact thing with the ESG crowd um, on the Bitcoin numbers. They're either misleading to get institutional investment because they know that the truth would not be uh, very, you know, investment savvy advice to say that that Bitcoin, the percentage on on the grid is just going to continue to go up as, um, you know, demand increases. It's just free market economics. So they just kind of like tell what they think is a white lie. But I, I don't I don't appreciate it when they they're either misinformed or they're telling lies like there's no good there's no good answer to this uh, uh, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're and you're promoting this stuff. Absolutely, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about today? We've touched on a lot. Yeah, let's talk about. So I, I, I'm to kind of like you know give free promo to Swan. I, I, I'm so I'm so happy to have to have found Swan Bitcoin because I was usually buying Bitcoin like through some other sites um, and just kind of like sending them to cold storage, but. It, 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 it it's interesting to find out um, that I, I think it's important for people to stay in age to support Bitcoin only companies like and, and that are radically committed to that. And I think that like anyone could tell you like if Swan uh, created their own shit coin and they're like, oh, buy our shit coin and you can get like, you know, your fees cut. Like this is the model of a lot of these um, quote unquote crypto institutions. So especially like my audience, if, if you're new to Bitcoin, like I would just urge people, you need to invest in, it's so important to invest in Bitcoin only companies too, because there's so much noise out there and there's so many actors that might end up like trying to screw over Bitcoin. And you saw this with Coinbase. They've done this like a million times to try to screw over Bitcoin with the old embrace of the Bcash thing. And they, they continue to you know push these tokens that have no value onto people. So I, I, I just wanted to say I, I appreciate corporations that really stand by um, their principles and are unwilling to compromise in, in, in any manner. And, and I, I like and I will continue to support Swan Bitcoin for forever if they're you know, just going to continue to be a Bitcoin only company. And I think there are some more Bitcoin companies emerging in the space, but we need 
many more of them and, and we need people to support them. And even if like Swan's fees were, I, I think you guys have the best fees, but even if the fees were like a little higher, I still think there's a case to be made to just support Bitcoin only companies. And it, it's nice to see some of them popping up um, here and there. And I hope that continues. That's so nice to hear, Jordan. I appreciate that. And I'm sure everybody on the Swan team appreciates that as well. And, you know, that's, I was still talking to a client yesterday about this and they asked why we were, uh, you know, Bitcoin only. And I was like, well, it's, it's a mix of, you know, experience from the team members that we've gone through and protection of our users. So even you, you know, you having the audience size that you have, <clears throat> I'm sure you don't want on your conscience, like somebody goes out and buys Dogecoin and gets wrecked, like, yeah. cause they saw you tweet, you know, and if, and if you're leading them to the watering hole and it's just a watering hole of shit coins, you know, they're liable to, you know, wreck themselves. And whenever you have a Bitcoin only company, they, they don't have that, you know, they're, they, they're introduced to Bitcoin and only Bitcoin. And that's, you know, I, when I came into the space in 2016, just as you did, I wasn't introduced that way. I was a shit coiner. There was no protection and there was nobody to like show me the ropes. There was no one like, you know, I didn't find Twitter immediately. So like I was away from the signal and, you know, it's just difficult for those people. They go through like three, two years of bullshit before they realize, you know, oh, this is, this is where I should have been the whole time. Yeah. Um, and you know, the opportunity costs that they've wasted, you know, in that, that amount of time too. So there's and so there's... many parallels to uh, every other aspect of society right now, like, especially with the COVID stuff. If you don't find like Bitcoin only companies, like very good chance you're just a shit coiner forever or, or you know, people that are uh, making a solid case for Bitcoin, like you just might never find those people. You might find like some someone like Mark Cuban who's just talking about like DeFi and shit. And it's the same thing with the COVID stuff. Like These people that believe in the masks and lockdowns have never been presented in an alternative because uh, it, well, it's very difficult to, hide, to find these days on purpose. So hopefully, uh, you know, at least at Twitter, you have Jack Dorsey, who's a very pro Bitcoin guy. So I don't think he'll be censoring any Bitcoin tweets anytime soon. So we have that going for us. But who knows with the CBDC push, maybe you'll see Facebook, uh, you know, becoming anti-Bitcoin and start saying that Bitcoin is a uh, is a threat to uh, government or something. <laughs> but, but it should be interesting. It will. I They're so far away, though. Like I was, so I was at Accenture, um, two years ago working in the blockchain department. This was 2018. So those two years, they still haven't even made any progress in the last three and a half years. And now they're saying they're two years away from basically having something like, it's just this never ending, like, oh yeah, they'll have, they're going to have something. And when it comes out, it's going to, it's going to destroy Bitcoin. It's so much bullshit. The Accenture shit coin. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Well, it's Accenture is just uh, you know, doing the consulting work for the Fed for the technology portion of the CBDC, along with like Microsoft and every other company. I, I love the fact that they're convinced that they can just like create something better than Bitcoin, some Fed coin. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild time when they when they realize that people don't want their shit coin. Uh, I, I think in private industry, this has been the experience too. Facebook, remember the, the Libra project, that one, that one died a pretty quiet 
and sudden death after a while, after all, they had like every fortune, all the big fortune 500 companies were like getting in on the Libra coin and they're like, Oh, this is great. You know, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain and disappeared. But it's a good way to identify, um, weird companies is if they have a blockchain department that, that doesn't really do anything significant because it's, it's such a preposterous, uh, marketing hype concept now. And that's why it's important to tell people that the blockchain is just part of Bitcoin. That's, that's all it yeah. really is. We should change that word, honestly, cause they yeah. took it, but <clears throat> yeah. And that's, what's a joke about the Amazon news earlier this week that they were like, they were going to launch their own digital currency or something maybe in 2022 was like the news. And it's like, that was 2015. That's what companies were talking about is launching corporate corporate coins in 2015. And they all failed. Facebook, like you just said, was a great example. So like, I don't understand how that has any play in the Bitcoin price movement in today. It, make, it just makes me think we're really, really early. Everyone's still clueless. The mass majority of people are clueless and that's bullish. Yeah, they're they're so late that um, you know I was um, one of my one of my buddies works in uh, in New York City in institutional investing, and it, it, it's fascinating to see how little even the the major institutions understand Bitcoin, and they're like, oh yeah, you can like buy shares in Grayscale, isn't that Bitcoin? I'm like, well, kind of, but <laughs> you know, you're kind of you really should have custody over your Bitcoin. Like, what's that? You know, these are people that manage like hundreds of millions of dollars that are still very clueless on Bitcoin. And, and the feds are even further behind. I mean, Liz Warren, I think infamously said, has said repeatedly that like, we just need to get rid of it. And I, it's good that she does not yet realize like how difficult that will be and, and how much, how basically impossible that is. So I'm encouraged whenever like a Senator or, or, or Wall Street or opens their mouth and, and says, oh, we need to like regulate crypto or some something stupid like that or, or, or regulate Bitcoin or, or make Bitcoin have to like pay a certain fee or, or you know, the people that want to talk to the to the to the board of Bitcoin. Or, so they call Michael Saylor up or something. You know, it's just it, they just they, they don't get it at all. And, and, and that's like talk about a reason for optimism is that like they're light years behind us in understanding that they they won't understand the threat that Bitcoin poses to their their entire system until it's too late. That's an interesting thought. I watched Senator Warren yesterday and I kind of had the opposite take, but her comments were just absolutely hilarious. The shadowy super coders. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see the clip. Yeah. I can send it to you after. She was basically asked a, a, a staged question of like who owns who has the power in like bitcoin crypto she's like if we don't have the banks then who has the power and you know the the gal she asked gave a response that it's oh the miners and the developers have all the power to exploit their users and she so then after like this woman gave this big long rebuttal Senator Warren was like, oh, so it's just a bunch of shadowy super coders that have <laughs> all the power in Bitcoin. <laughs> That's why everyone, all the Bitcoiners are like shadowy super coders on Twitter today. But yeah, man. I don't know where we go from here, but I'm bullish on Bitcoin, not on COVID. Yeah, bullish on, on human freedom. That's going to happen probably 
and, and Bitcoin, I, I think there'll be like a counter movement in, in COVID and a lot of people are becoming red pilled or based and, you know, orange pilled too, as a result of the COVID stupidity. But, but Bitcoin will certainly be, you know, one of the biggest drivers for this movement in the direction of human freedom. Absolutely. Jordan, I really appreciate all the work you do, everything you write about. I'm excited for your podcast, come out with more episodes. Um, and I look forward to hearing Bitcoin in your message uh, as it evolves. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course.